This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, there is an awful lot going on in the world. The war in Ukraine, the COVID pandemic, Brexit, so much uncertainty. And as recently as an hour ago, the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson announcing his resignation. And all of this, arguably, has taken our eye off the most serious existential threat facing mankind, and that is global warming. We all remember COP26. It was only last November that it happened. Great promises were made and commitments that may or may not have been honoured. And it's a pleasure to welcome to the stand now Joan Gibbons, who is a committed activist for climate change and for climate reason. And he is watching this, like many others who are sensitive to this issue and informed with a degree of trepidation, I imagine. John, thank you very much for joining us. Is it fair to say that with all the other historic, great, quote-unquote, events taking place in the world, the urgency that was felt around COP26 and the commitments that were made has been lost? Hello, Eamon, and thanks for having me. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Uh, what we tend, you, we find the ship of state uh, is constantly blown from one crisis to the next, and we see this yes. in, as you as you outlined it. And for example, two or three years ago, uh, things were were completely blown, of course, obviously by the COVID crisis. Nobody saw that coming, uh, and again. Climate action probably took a back seat for a couple of years as we all got our heads around dealing with a, a once in a century pandemic. Uh, more recently, we have uh, other other events, whether political or indeed geopolitical, in the case of uh, the, the war in Ukraine. And and it is very difficult, shall we say, amid the noise of current affairs, to detect the signal, the underlying yes. signal. And that signal, uh, growing ever louder, is the signal of a rapidly changing global climatic system. And you're absolutely right, Eamon, I, I totally understand how people get distracted from it. Uh, but that buzzing noise that is increasing in volume and intensity every year, that is the signal uh, the, from Earth systems that they're basically 
defibrillating and destabilizing. Yes, and I'm looking at a piece by a colleague of yours, John Sweeney, who had a piece in the Irish Times this week. He is also a committed environmentalist, and he points out that temperatures of 50 degrees, which were reached in India and Iran in May, or near a home, temperatures of 40 degrees in France and Spain a few weeks ago, are difficult to imagine in Ireland, but historically, they are sending us a clear message. I noted the other day in Italy that an ice cap melted and crashed and injured some people. Yeah, in fact, there were a number of people actually killed in that avalanche, Eamon, and you're absolutely right. That has been directly attributed to, to global warming, that collapse. The best way maybe I can summarize what you've just described there is, uh, let's take the seven hottest years on the instrumental record. Now, that record goes back to about 1880. So the seven hottest years, Eamon, on the instrumental record have all occurred since 2015. In other words, every one of the last seven years has been yes. the hottest year ever recorded. So what we see now is that the ratchet is, is, is turning much more quickly. Previously, we would have a hottest every year or, or a top five year, maybe yes. once in a decade. We're now getting it pretty much every year. If you went down to a bookies today and said, right, you know, uh, for 2023, I would like to put a bet with you that 2023 will be, say, one of the, the top five hottest years on record. I guarantee you, Eamon, the bookies wouldn't take your money because yes. they, they know, the actuaries know, that is not a risk at this stage for 2023. It's a certainty. That's how much additional energy is already locked in the system. And it is a, it's a wicked problem because, for example, 2021, globally, we ejected about 36 billion tons of heat-trapping gases into the atmosphere. That was the highest, by the way, ever recorded in human history. And that was a 6% rebound on, on 2020 when we had the uh, COVID lockdown. Now, those 36 billion tons, what's really important to understand about these heat-trapping gases is they're long-acting and persistent. They will continue to warm and alter the, the global atmosphere, not for decades, but for centuries, even in some cases for millennia. We're yes. locking in changes now, Eamon, on a global scale that our children, our grandchildren, and should, they, should we still have people around, our great-great-grandchildren will have to deal with the consequences of decisions that we're taking right now. Now, before we look at Ireland and our own issues here, before we talked on air, you alerted me to something that I actually knew but had forgotten in this context. The Supreme Court in the United States made two very controversial rulings, one of them about abortion and the other about guns. But they made a third judgment, which is binding, about the capacity of the government to make laws affecting climate change. And it's very, very serious, isn't it? That's right, Eamon. This was basically the Supreme Court uh, striking down uh, or attempting to strike down the ability of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to protect the environment. It's, it's, it's farcical, absolutely ludicrous. It's US... deeply shocking because the Supreme Court is the supreme authority in these matters. Well, it, it used to be. I think these days it would be ra rather regarded as uh, half a dozen partisan hacks uh, yes. and a stuffed court uh, put on, put, three of whom were put there by uh, a seditionist president. So yes. I, think, I think what we, what the likely outcome I would suggest, and I know we're not having a political discussion today, is the crumbling of the authority of the Supreme Court in the US. It's, it's simply partisan hackery. Now, there was always, as you know, Eamon, 
a touch of partisanship about the Supreme Court. Yes. But, but really, Trump has, has essentially taken it and, and turned it into, uh, effectively turned it into an unelected government. It's his attempt to rule from the sidelines. And that's essentially yes. what they're doing. But to return to your point, the, what the US EPA or what the Supreme Court has attempted to do is to claim that the, U, that the EPA has no jurisdiction over the emission of greenhouse gases. So it's attempting to tell it it can't regulate them. And the, some of the wording uh, from, from Chief Justice Roberts, it is, it is absolutely comical. If it wasn't so serious, Eamon, I would say it was laughable, risible. Uh, yes. And complete, they, they said, for example, uh, that the EPA were unelected officials. As yeah. if you needed an election to dis- to to decide how to regulate the environment, and of course, a group of unelected judges complaining about unelected officials. I'm afraid my irony meter broke uh, read- reading that judgment. But you're absolutely correct. It's an extremely serious, yet another setback for environmental protection. Yes, and this is the point I would take from that. If it's okay for the United States of America, and it's rubber stamped by the Supreme Court. Others, delinquent regimes, and immediately President Bolsonaro in Brazil comes to mind, who is attacking the rainforests and felling trees and doing massive damage to the environment. He can say to himself and his followers, well, don't worry, look at America. And that's the the significance, if you like, the importance of the leadership America gives the world in many things. I think you're right, Eamon. And for good and for ill, America is, the, you know, has been the, yes. the, the, the world's cop for the last, uh, maybe, I don't know, the guts really since the Second World War. And there's a, there's, I'll give you a quick, very good example of where, of where U.S. power actually was used in a positive way. And that was in a thing called the, the Montreal Protocol back in the 1980s, where after the, the, the ozone hole was detected over Antarctica, basically the U.S. government, and I would add a Republican U.S. government knocked yes. heads together and pushed through the Montreal Protocol. And the reason why the Southern Hemisphere is habitable today is because of the Montreal Protocol that phased out CFCs that were destroying the ozone hole. Now, that was the U.S. Um, knocking heads together, getting things done. Unfortunately, that was a time only 40 years ago when uh, science still had a seat at the top table. But I'm afraid, Damon, those days are gone. Now, many people, John wonder where the point is that it will be too late, it will be irreparable, and that we will have destroyed the planet. And isn't it possible that we can pass that point without quite realizing that there's no way back here? And this is something of acute anxiety and urgency for younger generations. Yeah, I think I think what you said there is 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 correct. Okay, a couple of quick numbers. We currently have about 420 parts per million of uh, CO2 in the atmosphere. If you add in other trace gases like methane, nitrous oxide, it's over 500 parts per million. Now, the reason I use that figure is that in all of recorded history uh, prior to the arrival of man, the highest level that has ever been recorded of global CO2 was about 280 parts per million. So we've essentially added about 50% additional heat-trapping gases to the atmosphere. So we've essentially re-engineered the chemistry of planet Earth. And that's yes. been done really, Eamon, mostly that's been done even in my lifetime and certainly in your lifetime. Yes. That most of that change has happened since 1970, believe it or not, in the last 50 years. And it, 
somebody described it as being like we're, we're engaged in an uncontrolled experiment on planet Earth. And the, and the question is, what would happen if we did all these things? Now, science has been telling us uh, many reasons. Uh, they've been telling us many, many of the likely outcomes to, to this uh, experiment. None of them are good. Now, I'm not trying to avoid your question. Uh, about where we are on, on the no. scheme of, of I'm, I'm really not. I of don't want not. to do that. No, I, I'm not suggesting. No, that. but look, the situation is that it is likely that we have already locked in some extremely bad outcomes. For example, the last time there was this amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, sea levels were 20 meters higher than they are today. 20 meters. Now, you, 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 your listeners might say, well, John, how come sea levels? aren't 20 meters higher if, if it's connected to CO2. Yes, it is. But the Earth system is huge. And in that system, there is a vast amount of inertia. That inertia is not our friend. It is simply disguising the effects that are already beginning to lock in. So that's where, we're our, that's where we are right now, Eamon. But I think it's very important not to succumb to fatalism. By, uh, let me explain what I mean by that. The 420 parts per million that I've described, if we continue on our current pathway, that will turn out just with CO2 pretty soon to be 500 parts per million. So we're not we're no longer talking about locking in 20 meters. We're talking about locking in basically 50, 70 meters. In other words, melting all the ice on planet Earth. Uh, and of course, the ice melt is obviously massive from the point of view of coastal inundation and the loss of all our, yes. ci- all our coastal cities, but that is only the start of it. We could be looking at shutting down, or likely looking at shutting down the North Atlantic Current. That will completely and irrevocably change the climate of, of, of Europe uh, and many, many other, um, I suppose, bogeys in the system. And the point about all of this is that the further we go along this pathway, so if in 2022 we eject another 36 million tons into the atmosphere, that joins the 36 million tons we did last year and the 32 or whatever the year before. And, and it's a cumulative and increasing dose, if you like, that we're applying to the atmosphere. Now, the problem here is, again, we know all of this. We know the consequences. And the issue really is, what do we do about it? Can we engineer, for example, a transition away from fossil fuel burning? Uh, can we, for example, drastically reduce our dependence on or our, our involvement with, say, livestock agriculture on a, global, on a global level? Because, for example, we're going to need to have to feed a global population now approaching 8 billion people, uh, but we're also currently having to feed, in addition to 8 billion people, we have to produce the food to feed about 80 billion livestock at any given time. And you put the two of those together, Eamon, and it doesn't leave enough room, enough resources on this planet for the rest of nature. And this is something that is often forgotten about. I mean, we sometimes think that you visit nature up in the in the zoo, because in Ireland, the natural world has been more or less uh, eliminated. But there are other parts of the world you mentioned Brazil earlier and many other places where nature still exists pretty much in its primordial state. But those places are being destroyed. They're being sequestered principally for uh, agriculture, in fact, principally for livestock agriculture. Uh, Those forests are being cleared, they're being cut down, they're being removed. And of course, they're not just there for, you know, for, for a nature trip. They, all of these systems provide vital services. They're all connected into a, extremely complex and incredibly sensitive global climate system. We've seen, for example, Eamon, that you know, slight changes to precipitation patterns in South America can affect the timing of the monsoon in India. And that in turn affects the livelihoods and lives of tens and hundreds of millions of people. And this is what we've seen as science has delved more and more into, into 
planetary, uh, I suppose, climate studies is the, the remarkable interconnectedness and sensitivity of the global climate system. And unfortunately, we humans, we've kind of blundered into it uh, and we've sort of taken lumps out of it without really understanding how the system works and frankly, without caring how the system works because uh, I suppose most of the wealth that we've built over the last, uh, I guess, couple of centuries has been a combination of colonial plunder from the, from the, 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 the global south and, of course, a plunder of nature. Yeah. The idea that just because humans have the ability to take from nature, that we have the right. And it is a strange thing, Eamon. I, I believe in the, in the annals of future history, we'll come to see the destruction of nature as the new colonialism, the, the, you know, against the most defenseless of all, which, of course, is the natural world. But ultimately, this is also, while, while it might be very effective in the short term at stuffing our pockets with, with, with goods, uh, it's also probably... Uh, the biggest mistake that humans have ever engaged in as a species is destroying the natural world because the natural world provides all the systems upon which human welfare and human uh, prosperity depend. But unfortunately, in our culture, the link between a healthy natural world and how people experience their own lives is almost completely broken. We're disconnected from nature. We don't see the relevance. We, we literally think nature is a David Attenborough program. And we think it's something nice, but we think it's got nothing to do with us. But of course, we're absolutely connected with nature. We're our, it's in our DNA and we're connected with the natural world. But we've broken that connection. And in the process, I think we've, 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 we've lost a great deal. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, COP26, Ireland, and the commitments we've made. We're still trying to agree sectoral carbon budgets to hit a target which I believe is to reduce carbon emissions by 51% by 2030. Have I got that right? And of course, in that, this touches the farming community. And I saw Rural Independent TD in the door the other day complaining about people not being allowed to burn their own turf as they had done for generations and so on. And agriculture, of course, which is you know fundamental to our existence as a country and to our economy is holding everything up. It's it's only committing to 22% of cuts, which is a long way short of the target. So the whole carbon emissions debate here, how is it faring and by how much are we missing our targets and have we got any consensus? Okay, well, maybe if I start aiming for a change with the good news, right? Uh, one area which we, we're doing really well on is renewable energy. Uh, we've, we've we've currently achieved about forty percent of our of our um, grid being renewable, which by European and world standards is really good. So this is yes. something we've done well, and most of that, by the way, has just been with onshore wind. The real the real um, bonanza is in, of course, in offshore, where we can scale up maybe five gigawatts of wind energy up to thirty gigawatts, even beyond that. So, you know, there's a reasonable prospect if if the system holds together, Eamon, There's no reason why Ireland couldn't be a significant net energy exporter in the next fifteen or twenty years. And the, right. the, the important caveat there, by the way, is if the system holds together in the meanwhile. But but we'll come back to that. So that's a good thing. So our our we're going our target for for renewable energy is seventy percent by twenty thirty. I believe we're going to make it. I think we may even hit eighty percent because it's not just wind. We're now also seeing significant input of solar energy. They changed the rules recently to allow, for example, uh, people who put solar panels on their own roof to be paid for that. Now you might yes. think, well, solar is trivial in Ireland. It's actually in Germany, for example, ten percent of all electrical production in that vast economy of Germany. Is is from uh, solar, and Germany is is no better uh, in terms of its of its latitude than we are. So that that's the point. Yes, you can get a lot from solar, and particularly when you complement it with wind. So that's the good news. Okay, things that are much more difficult to change. Uh, we have a high emissions from transport, and of course Ireland has a particular problem because of our scattergun approach to to planning and development. We have, I think, uh, four hundred thousand once-off houses scattered up the length and breadth of the country making us one of the most car-dependent countries in the world. We have yes. a vast network of roads that we have to maintain to access all these remote locations. At the and the absence of good public transport and comprehensive public transport Absolutely, all over the country. Yeah, but public transport requires density. 
And for right. example, in England, you have your you have your villages, right? You don't have people living up the side of ro- up, up the side of lanes in England. They have they have planning laws that prevent it. So if you want to live in rural England, you live in a village in rural England. Unless you're a farmer, an actual yes. farmer who lives on a farm. Everybody else lives in villages. In Ireland, we live absolutely everywhere, up the sides of roads, down the sides of roads. And this means that it's very difficult for us to provide, for example, public service to a high or public transport to a highly dispersed population. So that is tough. That is really difficult. It also means, of course, people in rural Ireland are hit with higher uh, transport uh, costs as the cost of diesel and so on has risen dramatically over the last few months. And, and they're locked in in that, in that situation. There's no easy answer to it. I guess electric vehicles will certainly come some of the way. I think, I think car sharing and pooling using technology like apps to do that, there are things, there are steps that can be made in that direction, but none of them are easy. But definitely, as you flagged in your introduction here, the most intractable problem remains our agricultural sector, which currently uh, accounts for between 37 and 40% of our total gross national emissions. And it really is a strange one, Eamon, because agriculture is quite a small part of our economy. People think it's a very large part, but in terms of, of, of its contribution to GDP, it's actually relatively small. Yet, it is a vastly disproportionate in terms of the amount of emissions that, that involved in it. And I must stress, by the way, this isn't agriculture per se. This is one sector of agriculture, which is livestock agriculture, yes. particularly ruminants. So what we're talking about there are beef cattle and more specifically the dairy industry, which, as you know, has increased by about 500,000 head in the last six or seven years. And pollution from that sector has increased. Uh, I think overall agricultural emissions in the last 10 years went, went up by 12% at a time when the rest of us are supposed to be getting our emissions down by that level. So that's presented us with a problem. And of course, it's also a political problem because, of course, uh, the Fine, Fine Gael-led government that, that sanctioned all this back in 2010, 2011, that basically okayed this, uh, they're the, still essentially the same people who are in government now. And it's very difficult for them to turn around to the agricultural sector and say, well, we told you to expand like crazy into dairy. Uh, we told you there was no problem doing it. And we forgot to mention that we have binding global emissions targets. So I think the politicians here are also in denial. I do believe the agri-sector is in denial. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and they've they're simply not engaging with the science at all. But I do believe that this, this denial is very much shared by the politicians, the same politicians in many cases, who actually cheered them on and told them back in 2010, 2011 to go for it. And unfortunately, yeah. that's turned out, Eamon, to be, a, to be a very, very unwise decision. Let me ask you, John, how from this point in 2022, where we are, how in your estimation and the estimation of your peers, this plays out over the next 20 years. We see at the moment, and we've seen recently, the, the collapse of that ice shelf in Italy this week, which killed people. We've, we've seen the horrendous weather events, should we call them, and we know now about the extraordinary heat that's you know it has never been known in places like India, where I don't think Modi, who is the Trump of India, is very interested in climate change. He doesn't appear to be anyway. How does this play out over the next twenty years in terms of flooding, and indeed in terms of heat? As I say, we we we're locking more and more energy 
into what amounts to a closed system amen and and this energy is expressing itself in different ways um extreme precipitation events we know that every one degree uh centigrade increase in global temperature means that the the carrying capacity of the atmosphere for 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 water vapor goes up by 7%. That is enormous. So we've already warmed the earth by about 1.2 degrees centigrade. So we're looking at probably another 8, 8.5% additional water vapor in the air. That comes down, that means monster rains. For example, Sydney has had four major flooding events but over the last three months, Eamon, four major, and when I say major, these are the ones they call the once in 50 year flooding events. Yes. And people there are just scratching their heads saying, and as you know, this is impossible. Yet a couple of years ago, uh, millions of acres of uh, Australia burned in the worst bushfires uh, in, in over a century with uh, three billion wild animals killed in the process. So this is what we're seeing is all this additional energy is playing out, as I say, in these monster precipitation events. And of course, in the rising temperatures and rising temperatures. And I think this is maybe something that scientists have come to understand uh, much more, uh, with much more accuracy. Humans are very versatile. We have colonized every place in the planet. Yet, we also have temperature thresholds that are far more sensitive than some people seem to think. We know, for example, you asked me the question to to gaze into the crystal ball out 20 years. Let let me take it out 30, if I may, Eamon, right? Out to mid-century. In fact, it's not even 30 years out. Now, what we know is if we continue on roughly the same emissions trajectory that we are today, which, by the way, is extremely likely, uh, even allowing for additional renewables, it looks likely. If we do, what we know is that by mid-century and thereabouts, we're going to have areas of the world that are currently home to about 3 billion people will be uninhabitable for humans for at least some of the year because of extreme temperatures. Now, that presents us with a global migration crisis that will make anything that we've experienced in the 20th and 21st century to date seem pale by comparison. If you think of the the 2015-2016 Syrian refugee crisis, that was a couple of million people, Eamon. Here we're talking about potentially billions of people having to flee their homes. Because let's say you're in areas uh, that are already hot. And this is the point. There are areas of the world, like Pakistan, like India, like many parts of the Far East, that are already hot. They're approaching the thresholds of survivability. And they're within a couple of degrees of being uninhabitable. And there is this concept in science called a wet bulb temperature, which is a combination of high temperature and humidity. And when wet bulb temperatures hit 35 degrees, mammals die. Simple as that. Even if you're sitting in the shade drinking cold water, in a 35 degree, unless you have access to air conditioning, in 35 degrees wet bulb, mammals die. And I mean die, everybody dies. So we're approaching a situation, a probability, that we're going to begin to experience these wet bulb, these fatal wet bulb events. They will, of course cause terrible tragedies, but they will force the abandonment of huge areas of what are currently some of the most densely inhabited parts of the world. And I guess also, of course, Eamon, it isn't just humans that are affected by this. Animals are, and crops are. Above a certain temperature, um, crops are sterilized. So if, if, if crops at particular parts in their cycle experience, I think it's over 35, 36 degrees centigrade, they become sterilized and that's, that crop is gone. So, we also know that thresholds 
for food production are very, very sensitive as well. And we're beginning to approach those thresholds. Now, human ingenuity, of course, as we know, over the last number of decades, has squeezed more and more productivity out of agriculture. But it's done so by you know, I suppose we, we've put a lot of pressure, for example, on groundwater resources. These are non-renewable water resources. We've used yes. up a lot of those. And they won't be back, by the way, anytime soon. When you use groundwater up, effectively you use it up forever. Uh, we've seen in the American Midwest is drying out dramatically at the moment. Uh, lake Mead is now at the lowest level it is since the lake was actually created back in the early 1930s. So we, we, we're facing a global water crisis anyway, Eamon, but it's being exacerbated by careless uh, human activities, particularly uh, water-intensive forms of agriculture that are, that are basically wasting uh, or highly wasteful of some of the water that we have. So that's the, the, the scenarios that we're looking at would be lots and lots of areas of the world. It's estimated about 20% of the land surface of the world becoming too hot for humans for at least some of the year. And the problem with that is, you know, let's say that your country or your region becomes too hot for two months of the year. You can't stay because where do you go? You don't go, you don't book an Airbnb no. next door. You can't have a billion people, you know, popping, popping on their holidays because their country is too hot. And that leaves us, of course, with uh, global migrations on a scale we've never seen before. And unfortunately, that in turn means uh, resource wars, uh, conflicts like we've yes. never seen before, and this is the this is, for me for folks like me. This is the issue that while I totally appreciate how how busy everybody is with their with their you know all the various things that preoccupy us, including in the media, while we're chasing around after Boris Johnson's latest uh, yes. gaffe. Uh, meanwhile, the global temperatures are ratcheting up, and the conditions for life on Earth are becoming. Uh, ever less favorable. And I, I totally get this, Eamon, and, and it really is for me, for someone like me, it's, 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 yes. it, it's, I've been scratching my head about this for 20 years. What do we do? How could, you know, if, if, could we communicate this better? Is there a better graph I can show you? Can I draw a map? Is there some way that people can understand just how much trouble we're in? And I'm going to be honest, I have no idea. I've, I've talked myself till I'm blue in the face trying to explain this, but the reality is we seem, as a species, we seem determined to just continue on our current path, even though the, the, the scientific evidence is overwhelming. Uh, you referred earlier to Professor John Sweeney, one of our, one of our national experts. Uh, John similarly has been, he's been shouting this from the rooftops for yes. as long as I have and longer. And I'm afraid, ultimately, uh, all the John Sweeney's and, and, and so on, um, they're always outgunned by the financial vested interests who want business as usual, whether it's the agri-lobby, whether it's the fossil fuel companies, whether it's the, the, the SUV makers. These guys, they're the ones with the big bucks, with the marketing, with yes. the advertising, and they're also the ones with the ministers in their pockets, right? The ministers are like our agriculture minister. They, they behave essentially as a sectoral lobbyist rather than a, like, rather than a referee. They're like, they're like an extra player yes. on the pitch. And that's what, I guess, folks who are trying to make the case for, for um, I suppose, preserving our, our, our systems of life, we're up against. And I personally have no idea uh, how, how we can be more effective in that. I guess we, we keep talking, we keep trying to communicate uh, the issue, because you, you asked the question, Eamon, a while ago, is it too late? And the short answer to that is that it's never too late, by which I mean it's always possible for things to get worse. Therefore, every good thing that we do today will help somebody in the future. 
So probably the worst thing that we can do now is to throw in the towel and say, ah, it's too late. Because every it's not just every degree that matters at this stage, it's every one-tenth of a degree is yes. going to save lives. And also, I mean, whether humans, by the way, make it through, we don't know whether humans will even make it through the 21st century. But even whether we do or not, there is, we also have to consider the rest of nature. And we have to consider our responsibility uh, to, to life on Earth, because uh, life, whatever happens to humans, life on Earth must go on. And, and at the moment, uh, I think it probably will. But believe it or not, there are scenarios in which um, we could actually sterilize this entire planet uh, if, if this thing goes beyond certain tipping points. And that's a massive moral responsibility, I think, for all of us alive today. Okay, John, um, it's uh, not easy listening, but it's true, and uh, we hear you. Thank you very much for joining us. John Gibbons is a committed environmentalist, and we're grateful to John for joining us today. To all of you for listening, that's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.